Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. And this morning I want to look at a a people group, a nation that had really lost that perspective. They didn't see where they belong, their proper perspective of God, and they really had turned the tables and no longer bent the knee uh, in worship and surrender to Him. Really were in need of re-surrender. And we're going to see how this was problematic for them. So take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, and we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter number 8. 1 Samuel chapter number 8, and I'll give you just a moment to find there. And when you found your place, we'll begin reading in verse number 4. So 1 Samuel chapter number 8, and we'll read together here in verse number 4. Verse number 4 says this, Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old. Now, let's just pause right there real quick. That's not a nice way to start a conversation, right? Like, come up to someone and say, hey, I have a few things to say, but I'm going to just start by pointing out the obvious. You're old, right? So that's how it starts. We'll get to that in just a minute. I, I just thought that was funny. And thy sons uh, walk not in thy ways. And they said, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Have you ever convinced yourself that you needed something? Ever been to the store, maybe with a spouse, and you you saw something that you never knew existed, and while you're looking at this item, you're convincing yourself, like, I need this item that I didn't even know about. And sometimes my wife and I will have these conversations, and she'll remind me, Larry, I didn't even know this thing existed until two minutes ago, but I need it now that I'm seeing it. There's been a lot of studies that have done, been done post-COVID on the spending habits during COVID, and it was kind of interesting because a lot of people bought things that they didn't really need, and I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of that, that first few weeks during the lockdown. I'm at home, I'm on Instagram, and I remember seeing something that as soon as I saw it, I knew I needed it. It's called a life straw. And the life straw is a straw with a built-in filtration device, so it it filters the water. So I'm at home, I get this Instagram ad, and by the way, the Instagram ads, they're amazing, right? They used to annoy me, now they just really impress me. I'm like, God, they know me so well. They they find the things that I'm going to buy, like every ad I save it and I come back to it later. But I see this, this ad for the life straw, and at the same time I'm watching the news, and no one can get toilet paper, no one can get water bottles, and I thought, this, this would be great. I'll never die of thirst. Uh, my parents have a swimming pool next door, and my, we have a baptistry at church, and I'll just drink the water and have the filter, <laughs> uh, filtered water right through the lifestyle. So I ended up buying that life straw. It was $20, never used it. My brother-in-law, John's here. He made fun of me for buying that life straw, but I convinced myself that I needed it. I wasn't the only one. I read the story of this lady named Corey, uh, and Corey Harris, she was 31 years old, and she said she never thought that she would buy a cat tent, but she was on Zoom during the lockdown, 
and she noticed in the back one of her friends had a little tent, a little cat bed that resembled a tent, and she said that all her friends were joking about it, and they, they said, they all, she, she said, they all know I'm very into camping and very into my cat. And, uh, but they didn't believe it when they actually purchased it. So she purchased this cat tent. She convinced herself. She saw it, and she needed it, and she purchased it for $60, the $60 cat tent. This company, based out of Australia, saw a 110% increase in sales during the lockdown. I think what happened was a lot of people were convincing themselves that they needed something. Well, what we find here in Scripture tonight is, or this morning, is that the children of Israel had convinced themselves of a need, and they convinced themselves that they needed a king. So I want you to notice with me a few aspects of this story, and the first thing that we see right off the bat in this chapter is that there was a deficit in righteousness. There was a deficit of righteousness. We read in verse number one of chapter number eight, and it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. These judges were in Beersheba. And so Samuel sets up his sons to judge in Beersheba, about 50 miles away from where Samuel was located. In verse number three, we read, and his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes. So there's this deficit in righteousness. There's this deficit, uh, this depletion of holiness in the nation. And why did this happen? How do we get to this place? Well, it began with truth being abandoned. It says that his sons walked not in his ways. So priests, like we think of Eli, held a hereditary office, but, but a judge was not a hereditary position. So Samuel sets up his son, and you look into their names, and their, their names had good meanings behind them, and so Samuel had high hopes for his sons, but his sons did not walk in the ways of the Lord. His ways being lowercase h. This is speaking here of Samuel's ways. And we know very well in Scripture that Samuel was a man that was in tune and listened to God. He's a great study in Scripture. So, for Samuel's son to reject Samuel's ways was for them to reject God's ways. So there was this abandonment of truth, this rejection of truth. By the way, we see this today play out even in our society, this rejection of truth. Back in 2016, the word of the year was post-truth. And maybe you've had a conversation with someone before where, where, where you've been talking and maybe even debating about truth. And maybe you've heard this phrase used before, well, that's your truth and this is my truth. And so we're living in a culture where truth is really up for grabs. And that's why I'm so thankful to come to the house of God where we can hold the word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. So there has to be a moral objective. There has to be an objective standard. There has to be a truth is not subjective. Truth is concrete. It's foundational. And so what we find here is that truth was abandoned. The truth of, of Samuel's ways, of the Lord's ways was abandoned. And what happens next is what happens when truth is abandoned. We see that justice was perverted. We keep on reading verse number three, and it says, and they perverted judgment. You see, truth is the moral foundation for justice. There's no moral framework for justice and judgment without truth. 
And so when truth is abandoned, when the truth of God's word is abandoned, what follows next every single time is decay. And this happens on a home level or on a personal level. This happens on a national level that truth is abandoned or neglected and justice and judgment is perverted. And this is problematic. And what really brings us to our scripture reading this morning, verse number four, we read, then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and Rama, they saw this deficit of righteousness. This is not something that just had happened overnight. This is something that had been happening. And in fact, the, the entire uh, book of the Judges, this was an interesting time in the way that God was dealing lovingly, graciously, and firmly with his people, even through Samuel. So this had been going on in Judges chapter number 17. We read, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And Judges 18, 1, and, and also 19, verse 1, starts the same way. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Judges 21, 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We also read earlier in the book of Judges, and also uh, that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. So this this departure of truth, this, this elimination of truth, had led to spiritual unrest. And we'll experience the same things in our life when we depart from the truth of the Word of God. But, but nation, the, the, Israel of nation, the nation of Israel was a mess because they had departed from truth. So we see this deficit of righteousness. But notice, secondly with me, the demand of the people. And we see this in verse number 5. And it says, verse 5, And said unto them, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like the nation. So they come with the the, the demand. Now, in our culture, something happens when a lot of people, when enough people get loud enough, long enough about something, eventually somebody does something. One of the things that happened post-COVID, there was a lot of restaurants that changed their menu items. Didn't make any sense to me, but some restaurants, they slimmed down their menu during COVID, and one of those restaurants was this fine establishment, you might have heard of it, Taco Bell. They decided to take off the Mexican pizza off their menu during COVID. And that frustrated people. And so they started a petition on change.org. Maybe you've heard of change.org. You can start a petition, and they they had uh, over uh, 171,000 supporters for that. You know what they did eventually? they brought back the Mexican pizza, right? Enough people got loud enough and long enough, and that's a silly illustration, but that's usually how it works. And so enough people get loud and long enough, and that's what we find here in Scripture, is that the, the children of Israel, they come to Samuel, they're coming to the Lord and say, now make us a king, now make us a king, now make us a king. Now here's a question. Was it wrong for the children of Israel to ask for a king? In Genesis chapter number 17, we read, And I will make thee exceeding and fruitful, and this is Moses, and I will make nations out of thee, kings shall come out of thee. So this is something that God had, had clued us into, had clued the people of ch- children of Israel into. In Deuteronomy chapter number 17, there's an instruction for when they enter the land and how they should go about trusting God for a king. Uh, at one point, they wanted to make Gideon, a judge, uh, the king. I don't believe that wanting a king was wrong. I don't believe that having a king was wrong. But their motivation and their thinking behind it was entirely wrong. Let's look at how their reasoning was flawed. There were two problems with this demand for a king. The first was this. The people of Israel wanted a king to judge them 
and to fight for them. We read of this in verse number 20. So why did they want a king? They wanted a king to judge them and to fight for them. In verse number 5 we read, Behold thou art old, we read this a moment ago, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse number 20, that the king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So they were looking for a king to judge them and to fight for them, to fight their battles for them. Here's the problem. They were looking for a replacement for what God was already doing for them. They already had God sovereign who reigned over them. God had given them judges. God had given them uh, a law, a civil, a ceremonial law. God had given them, uh, in a sense, a government. They had been given uh, all that they needed in that respect. They already had a God that had fought mightily for them. They didn't have a king problem. They had a heart problem. Now, this happens a lot with, with when spiritual issues become apparent. And, and sometimes what we like to do is we like to blame everything else except for what's the real problem. And so here they say, well, you know, there's no king. Everyone's doing that which is right in their own eyes. There's no king in Israel. Clearly, that's the problem. If we had a king, that would take care of everything. And, and if we're not careful, sometimes when we face problems in our life, we can look at them just like mechanically. How can I move this piece around? And if I could transfer this amount of money over here, if I could, if I could go to this school or do this or that, and we can, we can look at the like, pieces of a puzzle. How can we fit this all together? But looking at spiritual issues that way never solves the spiritual issues. It only compounds the issue. And so that's what they were doing. They were, they were looking around and they were, they, were, they were looking at this problem, not for, through a spiritual lens. See, in Psalm 20, verse 7, we read, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Verse number 6 of our passage this morning says, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. So why did they want a king? They wanted a king that would judge them and would fight for them. But the second reason they wanted a king was because of all the other nations. And this really became the mantra for the children of Israel. We want a king like the other nations. We want a king like the other nations. Here's the problem. God's intention for Israel was, never that, was that they were never to be like the other nations. That's actually what made them unique and peculiar and special. It's God's chosen people. But by definition, they were not to be like the other nations. And yet the reason they wanted a king was to be like the other nations. Someone once said that a, a component of following Christ has always been a wholesome disregard for the ways of a lost culture. If we are lock in step with culture, we are out of step with God. So we too, like the children of Israel, the Bible calls us in the New Testament, we are a chosen people. We are a peculiar people. And so our reasoning, our motivation to do things should not be, well, everyone else is doing it. For us as God's people, coming together in a church like this, singing praises to God, we have to understand that we are to be different. By definition, this is what God intends for us. And so the people, they discarded wisdom in favor for what seemed logical to them. So what was their reasonings? They wanted a king that would judge them. They wanted a king that would fight for them. Problem, God's already doing that. The other reason they want a king is because everyone else does. And so they, they make this demand for a king. See, the reasoning was flawed. But notice with me, their hearts were revealed. Look at verse number 7. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people, and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, 
but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So we know that the Bible that we hold in our hands, this is God's revelation to us. It reveals God to us. But the Bible tells us in the book of James that God's word is also like a mirror. It reveals us to us. As we come to this passage, we sometimes are, we share Israel's folly. Israel's folly here is our folly as well. We sideline God's wisdom for worldly wisdom. We look around for approval instead of looking up. We don't like the idea of being different, so we try to blend in. So what Israel was saying essentially is this, and listen carefully. God, we want a king. We just don't want you. Give us a king, anyone but you. We want someone to reign over us, God, just not you. We want someone to judge us, just not you. God, we want someone to fight for us, just not you. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to go repelling before. If, if you've ever been in the Boy Scouts, it's one of the, the, uh, the skills that a Boy Scout learns how to do is how to repel. And if you've ever had the opportunity to repel, it's a little nerve-wracking because it's very unnatural to what we want to do. Because to repel properly off the face of a cliff, you have to put your whole trust back in the rope, Right? You got to lean back and you need to be perpendicular to the rock face. And so, uh, as you can see in the picture here, these guys are leaning back and they're, they're, they're fully trusting on that rope. Well, you could actually injure yourself if you, what a lot of people like to do when, they're, when they've done this for the first time, is what they want to do is they want to climb down the rock themselves and then have the rope there just in case they fall. You actually get hurt doing it this way. And the proper way to do it is to fully lean back on that rope. So here's what Israel wanted. Israel wanted God to be their rope, but they wanted to climb down themselves. If we're not careful, <clears throat> we can do the same thing where, where God's our rope, he's there, we, we want a good church, we want a good support system, we want, we want <clears throat> someone to visit us and pray for us when we're, when we're in the hospital. But, but really, God's just there as a safety net. We're not really wholly leaning on him every single day of our lives. And so we see the demand of the people we see the deterioration of society, but notice finally with me the delivery of a king. So God's going to give them ultimately what they are desiring. We read of this in this passage. Ultimately, God is going to deliver a king to them. So notice with me, first of all, the warning of God. So God's going to warn the children of Israel of their folly, but isn't God so gracious to us? I love singing this morning about the goodness and the graciousness of God. Because here's a people coming to God saying, God, we don't need you. In fact, we don't want you. We want someone else. And God graciously warns his people. The Bible tells us that God is long-suffering. One of the most oft-repeated verses in all of Scripture tells us, Exodus 34, that God is long-suffering. We see that play out here because God warns. In verse number 8, we read, according to all the works which they have done since that day that I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. So God explains to Samuel, listen, they're, they're not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. That's what's going on here. And Samuel, to be honest, this is a problem since day one. For us, it's a problem since day one as well. We're born with a sin nature. We want to do what we want to do. And so God explains to Samuel, they're not rejecting you. It's nothing against you. They've rejected me. 
And they've done this ever since God rehearses his track record with the children of Israel. He's the one that brought them, brought them out of bondage, out of slavery, uh, to be his chosen people. And yet in all of that, despite all God's goodness shown towards the people of Israel, they had rejected God. And, and history is really repeating itself. Verse number 9 we read, Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Here's what God is asking, instructing Samuel, this, this judge, this, this, uh, this prophet to do. He says, Samuel, help them to understand the end of their ways. We do this sometimes as parents, if you're a parent in this room. Sometimes we'll explain to our kids, uh, yes, we're saying no, but this is the reason why. We want to we see how this plays out. I'm in youth ministry uh, up in Lancaster, California, and uh, sometimes with our teenagers, we want to do this as well. We want them to see how certain decisions play out, and that's what Samuel's doing here. He's helping the children of of Israel to understand, if you take this path, this is where this will lead. And so God instructs him to do that, and that's exactly what, what Samuel does in verse number 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him a king, and he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. So here's, here's the fine print, except for it's not fine print, it's bold, it's from God. And Samuel says, if this is what you really want, I want you to understand from God what this is going to look like. So you're rejecting God, you're rejecting his blessings, this is how it's going to play out. In verse number 11 he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. For his chariots and to be his horsemen, and he shall run before his chariots. And verse number 13, he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, to be cooks, to be bakers. He will take your fields and take your vineyards and your olive yards, and he'll take the best of them. In verse number 15, he'll take a tenth of your seed. Verse number 16, he'll take your men's servants. Verse number 17, he'll take a tenth of your sheep. And verse number 18 ends with this. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye have chosen, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Did you hear that? Israel said, this is, uh, Samuel says, Israel, this is the type of king you're going to get. You are going to get a king that is going to take and take and take your sons, your daughters, your possession, your land. This king will take, and there will be a day of reckoning where you understand your folly, where you understand empty-handed that you've lost everything. If you read through Samuel and Chronicles, first and second Chronicles, first and second Kings, you can actually find the fulfillment of every single one of these prophecies, that this in fact did happen. You see, what they wanted was autonomy, but what they got was tyranny. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do, but in fact what they, what they found themselves in was, was bondage. One preacher called this the economics of idolatry. You want freedom so bad, you get that freedom, you do whatever you want, but you find yourself in bondage. And that's what happened here for the children of Israel. So we see the, the warning that God so graciously warns, but then we see the wrath of God. And this is, this is seen in verse number 19. Now, sometimes as Christians, we, we don't like to think or talk about the wrath of God as though this is like one of his bad attributes. Listen, all of God's attributes are perfect. Even his wrath executed that we're going to see here, it is perfect, just as perfect as his love and his holiness. And so we see here in verse number 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and said, nay, but we will have a king over us. So they read the fine print. 
They get all of the disclaimers from God himself. This is what it's going to look like, and this is how it's going to turn out. And they said, nonetheless, give us a king. Give us what we want. My kids sometimes, they'll ask for something. I have a a two-year-old, almost three, a two-year-old, a, let me get these right, Ashley, seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, right? Did I do good? Okay, good. Uh, So two, nine, and seven, three girls, and, and, and my girls, they're beautiful, but they like, they like to ask for things. Yesterday, we went to Fashion Island, spent a little time at Fashion Island. And like everything we walk, walk past, they, they see and they want. So sometimes I'll tell my girls, you're, you're not getting that. And if you ask one more time, you're never getting that. Any parents in here know what I'm talking about? Like, you'll never get whatever it is that you're asking for. You'll never get it for the duration of your life. Like, I'm, I'm like that firm with my girls. And you know what? That for whatever reason, they think it's worth the risk to try to ask one more time. They'll still do it. I'll, I'll try to spell it out as clearly as possible. Like, if you ask, this is what it's going to look like, and you're, you're eventually going to get it. And so one of the things that we see here in this, in this passage is it's not a good indicator when you're reading through this story that you see the people messaging to God through Samuel. You find the people saying, Samuel, let God know this. This is how it's going to work. So Samuel was a prophet. He's a mouthpiece of God. How that should be working and how it should work for us is that we come to God's word and we receive his word as truth and we apply it to our lives. What what instead's happening is the people are manipulating Samuel to get this message to God. Tell God that this is how it's going to work. This is how we want it to be. So God hears this and and nevertheless, verse number 19, the people refuse. They say, we want a king, give him a king. So what happens here is God is going to give them what they request. We read of this in Psalm 106, verse 15, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their souls. Sometimes we call this the wrath of God's abandonment, where he gives an individual or people over to whatever it is that they're demanding in their life. You want it, here you go. And that's what we find here in this passage. And so, uh, and also we find this in Romans chapter number one, that God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them all over, honoring their own request. Now listen to this. God can execute judgment sometimes by saying yes. Sometimes we want something so bad, but it goes against what God has for us and goes perhaps against Scripture, and it's God's, not God's will for our lives, and yet we demand it, we demand it, we demand it. Sometimes God's judgment is exercised by saying, okay, that's what you really want. There you go. The converse is true. Sometimes God's grace is felt when he says no. Sometimes God's grace in our life is experienced when he doesn't let us have whatever it is that we're demanding and what we're wanting so badly. So we see the warning of God. We see the wrath of God, meaning God's going to lead them to their own devices. He's going to allow them to have, he's going to meet their demands. And in that, they're going to experience the wrath of God. The wrath of God's abandonment, may I clarify, not that God ever abandons us. No. If we ever find ourselves away from God, it's not God that moved. We know that in Scripture. And so the warning of God, the wrath of God, but then we see here the will of God. So God would allow the people a king, but through it all, God's will is going to be accomplished. In chapter number 12, you don't have to turn there, but we, it's coronation day. Eventually, they're going to they're gonna have their king. They're going to go from, it's a transitional period, a period of, of judges with no king. Now they're going to establish the king. And for the people, the king looked good. Saul looked good. He was tall. He was handsome, good looking. It looked like this was, this was the good choice that was going to be made. Well, on that day, there's a message delivered to the people. In verse number 13, 
We read, Now therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen, and whom ye have desired. And behold, the Lord has set a king over you. So God's giving you what you wanted. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. I love this again because we see the grace and goodness of God. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you, this resonates with you. Maybe you've tried to really push something through in your life that, that in retrospect, it wasn't what God wanted. And now you're, now you're stuck with kind of a bad decision. Where, where do we go from here? Well, we run right back to God. We find grace in the arms of God. Here, here on coronation day of the king that God never desired for him, God gives the people a message. And he says, by the way, people of Israel, children of Israel, if you'll run to me, I'll be your God. Even despite your bad decision, I'll, I'll be your God. By the way, this goes for your king as well. We see the love and the graciousness of God. So for 450 years, Israel had a king. In fact, they had 41 kings. Only 11 of those kings follow God. And seven of those kings uh, kind of abandoned God in the last few years of their life. So here's the question this morning. Who's your king? Who's on the throne of your heart? It's kind of weird talking about kings in our culture. We don't have kings. We're not familiar with kings. Maybe if you turn on the news, you saw some news about that the queen passed away. Now, we've, now there's a king in the uh, in, uh, United Kingdom. And uh, the, there's been studies or polls taken. Some of the younger generation, they don't even want a king. You know, it's just kind of a weird time. We, we don't really relate well to a king. And even when the queen died and now there's a king in England, I Googled like, okay, what does the king actually do? Like I'm trying to refresh on all this because it's fuzzy for us. We're not used to kings like the children of Israel would have understood kings. It's, it's a different culture for us. But did you know that the United States once had an emperor? Believe it or not, it's true, at least in the mind of a guy named Joshua Norton. I don't know if you've ever heard of Joshua Norton. You've got a picture here of Joshua. Joshua Norton lived in San Francisco during the gold rush days in the 1800s. He was a colorful character to say the least. When speculation in the rice market brought him to financial ruin, uh, something happened in Norton's mind. He, he kind of snapped. He went a little crazy, and he declared himself the emperor of the United States. And he went, and he got himself some colorful clothes, and he got a big feather, and he stuck the feather in his hat. He had a sword, and he walked around San Francisco declaring himself to be the emperor of the United States. What does this story tell us? It tells us that there have been some odd people living in San Francisco for a really, really long time, right? <laughs> So he declared himself as the emperor of, of, of the United States. Well, here's what was funny about this. Everyone went along with it. So he would go around demanding to people to pay taxes, and it became kind of like an inside joke that the people of San Francisco would actually start to pay taxes to this emperor. They'd have parades for Norton uh, the Great. In fact, there's a, there's a plaque here, uh, I think we got it on the screen, to pause, I believe this might be on the, the Bay Bridge, but pause, traveler, and be grateful to Norton I, Emperor of the United States and Protector of Mexico. That was a title they added late, later to that. Protector of Mexico and the Emperor of, of uh, Norton, Emperor, Norton the Great. You know what's crazy? When Norton died, he had one of the largest funerals in California history. Over 10,000 people attended Norton the Great's funeral. Now, was he ever really the king? No. In fact, if the government had sensed that, I'm sure they would have squashed that right away. 
But in the delusion of his mind, that's how he acted, and everyone kind of went along with it. And listen, if we're not careful in the delusions of our mind, we'll live our lives like we're the king, and our families go along with it, our friends kind of go along with it. But make no mistake, as believers, we worship the one and true king. So we see the will of God here. And here's what I want to point out as we conclude, that God was working a plan all along. You see, in the, in the, in the, the book preceding, uh, the book we studied this morning in Ruth, in the very end of it we read in Ruth 4.21, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Now, as far as kingdoms in Israel, David's a very familiar name. And here's my point. Before Israel was even demanding a king, God had a plan in place for the perfect king, his son, from the branch and the stem of Jesse. Zechariah 9 gives us prophecy that, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Uh, and that king did come, but not the king that the people were expecting. He, uh, his entry into Jerusalem, King Jesus, uh, initially he was, he was lauded and he was praised, but eventually he was scorned and put up on a cross. And above his head was the, uh, the accusation written, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. But here's what I want you to understand about King Jesus. King Jesus is not a king who came to take. And we read of, of Samuel describing the king that Israel was about to get. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your families and your land. But that's not why King Jesus came. King Jesus came not to give, but came to take. In Revelation chapter number 19, we read the end of the story. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name, which is called the Word of God. Verse number 16 of Revelation 19. And hath on his vesture and on his thigh as written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We will all bow in broken confession or humble submission to this King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse number 24 of chapter 12. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly and be consumed, both ye and your king. There's a story uh, in uh, what C.S. Uh, uh, Lewis wrote in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's a conversation between Aslan the lion, the great lion, uh, between Susan and the beaver about Aslan the lion. And Aslan, the great lion, in this conversation, uh, Susan said, uh, when she finds out that he's a lion, oh, I thought he'd be a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, says Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion, right? But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Let me tell you something about God. Our God uh, sent his son Jesus to be our king is he safe? Not in the sense that you can oppose him and have your will accomplished against him. But more important than that, he's good. And he's worthy of our praise and of our honor. And maybe we use this story this morning to kind of recalibrate. Or maybe even like the song said, re-surrender. Maybe there's an area of your life where you've kind of taken control of. And tonight, that needs to be, or this morning, that needs to be surrendered back uh, onto the altar to the Lord. Because we have a king, a king not who takes but a king who gives. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with this king. This king did not come just to reign over his people. The Bible tells us that this king, King Jesus, tabernacled with his people to have a relationship. And maybe you don't have a relationship with this king, with King Jesus. But I would invite you this morning to, to begin that relationship with him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we conclude.
Just a few questions to reflect as we pause towards the end of the service here. A few questions I'd like to ask. First of all, in your life, who are you aiming to please? Is God and church, is it just an ornament that serves you when it's convenient? And maybe this morning there's a need for refocus and re-surrender. We've also talked about the need for a king. We need a king. We didn't deserve this king, but we needed this king. And the reason we needed a king is because the Bible says that we were dead in the trespasses of our sin. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were not only without a king, we were without a country. We had no king. We were, we were, we, we were outside of the promises of God. But because of Jesus, we have been offered this gift of everlasting in eternal life. And perhaps this morning you're hearing this for the first time, or maybe you've heard it many times before, but you've never responded to this offer, this free gift of salvation made possible because of Jesus. And this morning, perhaps you would like to hear the good news of Jesus and how you can begin a relationship with him. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series. 